podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English language podcasts about Fiorentina on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back to another Viola Station. I'm Mike, joined by the guy next in line for a haircut after Ricky Sotil. We're back to talk everything Viola, and boy, is there a lot to cover this week, isn't there, Tito? Mike, there is, but before we get into that, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Uh, Again, it's a beautiful day here. I'll tell you this story. I was without power for two days this week, which was uh, not very good, and on the hottest day of the year, too, 92 degrees. Not enjoyable. In that case, it sounds like if anyone needs a drink, it is probably you. Mike, what are you drinking today? I've been through quite a few bottles over the past few days, hitting up that great year of uh, 2015 for the Brunellos. That's where I'm at. How about you, bud? I'm doing all right. I am drinking a cocktail that I made that I have named the Kurt Hamrin because it is a Swedish and Italian co-production. It is Aquavit, Disarono, and Campari. And it is, just like Kurt Hamrin, very good. I think you're going to have to post that recipe then. Got a very slight burn on the aftertaste. I might have to pop a cough drop <laughs> after this. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyways, while we're talking about historical players for Fiorentina and wine, let's talk birthdays because the great Dario Dainelli turns 40 on Tuesday, which is tomorrow if you're listening to this the day that it's released. I had uh, the great pleasure of meeting Dario back in October. It was a great joy to to meet somebody that, when I was starting to watch the club, uh, was one of the players that you focused in on, and it was hard not to focus in on that guy. Uh, <laughs> here he is back at the club. He, he's he's doing a great job uh, helping a lot of the players, the personnel. Uh, it seems like that's the the direction he's going. And and I'll tell you this from experience: the the guy just does not age. I mean, he still looks <laughs> like he's twenty three. It's amazing. You know, he joined Fiorentina in what? 2004 from Brescia for 4 million euros. He became the captain the year after and then left the club in uh, 2009 to Genoa for 2.5 million. So, you know, he would have been, what, 30? And there was this expectation that 30 years old, he was never super athletic. He's probably on the downside of his career. And then he went on and played like another, what, six, seven years in Serie A? As never anything but a very good defender, that is just one of the more embarrassing deals. But also very in keeping with Fiorentina's style of letting their captains go for no good reason. But yeah, 173 appearances for him. Uh, he's a native Tuscan too. He's from Pontedera, just outside of Pisa. And also we can call him Italy International. Dario Dainelli, one cap. Happy birthday. Yep. Dario Dainelli. Happy birthday. And he's transitioning into the next life very well. With oh, Fiorentina yeah. on the personnel side, but also uh, we know he's going into 
the olive oil and wine business. So I think it's important for us to once again plug uh, his business, Cantina Dinelli, which will be out there having bottles of wine available for all the fans soon. You've got to buy your olive oil and your wine from a guy who looks like your Italian friend's cool uncle who wears nothing but linen and is just always in a pleasant mood. So happy birthday, Dario. And thank you for everything in Florence for all those years. The other birthday that we should mention on Thursday, the great Pedro Petrone, el artillero, would have turned 105. Unfortunately, he died in 1964 at the age of 59. He was an Uruguayan international who spent just two seasons in Florence, but I believe he was the first capocannoniere in Viola history. When he joined in the 1931-32 season, he scored 27 goals that year. In his 44 appearances across two seasons, 37 altogether. He was known as the fastest player in Serie A. He could run the 100 meters in 11 seconds. He also blew out his knee, and he was the recipient of the first major knee operation in the country. Happy birthday, Artiero, wherever you are. I hope it's a good one. I guess this is also kind of a birthday, but it is definitely worth pointing out that the day that we are recording this, happy Rockoversary. Amazing date, you know, and, and just plugging what we are going to be having coming up in a little bit. Uh, we're going to have a couple great stories. I'll share a couple of my own. Um, you know, as, as Rocco has now made it one year since he took over the club, you know, I was really trying to figure out what most stood out to me. We see so much investment in the employees there and the players, uh, investment in the infrastructure. Uh, he brought the club over to the United States for the first time in a very long time uh, for the great. ICC tournament. Uh, it, it, you and I were there, bud. Had a great time. Oh, did I? I'm so glad I did. <laughs> I have the stories to remind you. Don't worry, bud. <laughs> what, what he's doing right now with the Centro Sportivo, I saw during the presentation today, he talked about putting the first bricks in place in October. So that's great to hear. That's going to be moving along. You know, he talked a lot, and you can see during that presentation, the, the globalization from where we came from the Della Valley to where we are now with Rocco Camiso, the amount of fans that are participating, recognized, vocal, uh, th there's just so much growth there. And Rocco is not just embracing it, like he's actually trying to be a proponent of that and, and trying to do those things through people like us. So, you know, we're very appreciative of it. You know, I, I was very lucky to, to be asked to, to film a message for Rocco. I, I certainly thanked him, but I wanted to bring up just the sheer fact that he has just the best character that I've seen, that I've come across for the person that you would want owning your club. Uh, met him several different times. He was just the nicest guy, great host, very direct, but very conversational. And he can tell stories. But at the end of the day, he is the person that you want running your club. Like his priorities are in the right place. And we've seen that several different times throughout this year with uh, his stand against racism, his stand against favoritism, you know, with the, the officiating and, and Juventus. So how can any Fiorentina fan not get excited about having Rocco as their owner? He's been phenomenal. You know, we're, we're trying to work on the stadium here. And, and I think um, if Rocco had his way, he probably would have announced the, the stadium today during this presentation. But it doesn't seem like it's just there yet. But I think uh, over the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, we'll probably start hearing some information coming out on, on where they're going to be shifting their focus or continuing to uh, 
to, to redevelop. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of news on that that we'll be covering on the website as it arises. Just adding to the Rocco commentary, I think for me what has stood out the most, Mike, is that the Della Valles were just, they never really said anything in public. They never interacted with the fans. They never interacted with the players. And seeing Rocco's genuine enthusiasm and passion like he's hanging out not just with the first team but with the women's team which is really cool with the youth teams he's met all the players uh seeing him get super heated against juventus after the terrible refereeing and then like start some beef with pavel nedved afterwards was rad for me really just his his willingness to be out there and to show that he is a fan of the club. It's not just business to him, that he really does care. After the Della Valles, I mean, Andrea would sometimes be very excited about it, but then he was also kind of petulant at times and would just vanish. Diego got the sense he never really cared. Having Rocco on board, I think, just makes such a difference that reverberates through the whole organization. And I think you can really feel that. And as a fan, I think that's I think that's really what I'm most excited about. All the investment in players and infrastructure and staff has been cool, but I think it's just the personality, like you said, and that infectiousness. Yeah, and, and I think going forward into year two, we should expect to see better production of the players, a little bit more organization by the club, infrastructure being built. Uh, and I think he's also hoping that there's a few less selfies being taken. You know, hopefully everybody's got those <laughs> selfies by now. Because I think he may start declining those pretty soon. It's someone who hates being in pictures. I totally get that. Yeah, if you see Rocco, very, very stealthy selfies, maybe. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe one of our listeners, our readers, can actually come up with a, uh, an app that allows you to take Rocco's picture and make a selfie of yourself in any destination <laughs> that you want. There's an idea. Also, we said it here first, so if you come up with that, uh, we're going to want to cut off of the top. You can talk to our legal department at Viola Nation. The next thing we need to get into here is uh, the transfer rumors, because those are starting to pick up as we approach summer, even though that won't be when the window opens. But let's start out by addressing some things that we've been talking about in past episodes here and that are just kind of still at the forefront of the mind. I think the first one is that we have heard that Herman Petzela, his uh, transfer fee has been set. 20 million, according to what we've heard from a couple of sources, with a whole bunch of clubs, including Valencia in Spain, and then Napoli, possibly even AC Milan, maybe some others too, even in England or other options in Spain, looking to jump in at that price, which frankly seems quite reasonable for a player of his quality. You know, we talked about him last week, went into some of the rumors. They continue. And I'm not surprised. I mean, he's a great player, still in the prime of his career. He's only going to add more experience and leadership to any club that he goes to. So I wouldn't be surprised if he left. Seems like as he's getting older, the club is still getting younger. I, I would, though, ask, like, where would leadership come from on our club if Chiesa stays? Is he then the captain? Not sure if that's the direction or uh, the direction we should be going, to be honest. So, you know, that does worry me a little bit. You know, I know that he's staying consistent with the way he's been in his career. He hasn't been a vocal media presence, but if he did want to stay, you know, just coming out and saying, you know, no, the rumors aren't true would be one of the easiest things. But again, that's not his personality. So we may ask for that, but I, I doubt that'll ever happen. You got to hope that he stays. He's just such a good player and such a good steady presence. And obviously I have not ever met the guy from what I can tell. Seems like a, a genuinely good dude who is 
liked by his teammates and respected by them and adds a lot, not only between the lines, but off the field too. Like you said, hey, way to uh, set up that transition, Mike. We definitely have that on the script. Uh, The other player we should talk about here is Federico Chiesa, about whom Rocco spoke recently and said that if another team comes in with a sufficient financial offer that Chiesa is free to leave, although it'll be his choice. I'm actually kind of intrigued by how this has suddenly blown up in the past couple of days, because it's exactly what Rocco has said for about three or four months. Is there anything new or different about this permutation of this story that you can see? None at all. None at all. (laughs) It's the same situation. There's speculation by media. The club addresses it, says that if they get the fee and he wants to leave, he can go. Chiesa is still quiet, which is, again, staying consistent with the way that he's been throughout the entire career. So I don't know what has changed other than there's just more media speculation. This is going to be one of those that's going to just have to play out. What he could do is sign a contract, which would end speculation, but I don't see that happening. So the alternative is very likely he may be somebody who who leaves unless he signs that contract soon. Yeah, he's got two years left on his current deal, so it's not quite, as our friends across the pond say, squeaky bum time, but we're kind of coming up on that. It is just about time for Fede to figure out what he wants to do next, obviously. He's been a model professional throughout all of this turmoil. You know, a player has to do what's best for their own career. You can't expect them to sacrifice their lives just because we as fans want them to do something. That, that would be ridiculous. But it would be pretty cool if he decided to stay in Florence. We'd be appreciative. I mean, for what it's worth, Fede, we'd like you. Talking about captains, a guy who's captained the team several times in his career, Milan Badel. Sorry, I don't speak Croatian. Everyone is free to email in with voice recordings of how to actually say his surname. Uh, he's on loan from Lazio this year. I don't think there's ever really any question that he was going to be redeemed and make his home in Florence for the long term. And we are now getting what sounds like almost certain confirmation that he won't, that he will be sold to Lokomotiv Moscow next year, where he'll join his fellow Croatia international, Vedran Chorluka, in that side. Not a lot to say there, really. Thanks, Milan. He's always been a real good, steady player and always seemed pretty respectful of the club, aside from some rumblings via his agent a few years ago. Model professional, nothing bad to say about him. I I just think that he missed his opportunity to cement his legacy at the club by leaving for Lazio Mm. a couple years ago. You know, just think back to those years. I mean, I enjoyed his first few years here at the club. He was he was fabulous. I I mean, talking about a professional, uh, just a guy who handled his job and did it very well. When he left, it, it honestly left me pretty scorned. Then he came back and you know, he was celebrated, heralded again, didn't necessarily play out the way he wanted it to, which is fine. I think even if he stayed at the club, instead of going to Lazio, renewed that contract, we'd probably still be in the same place that we are right now debating what do we do with Milan. And we probably still would move him at the end of the year. But I think his legacy would have been far more cemented from a, a Fiorentina standpoint than, than it did. By leaving the club and going to Lazio. No, that's definitely true. He could have he could have been the kind of guy who supporters look back on very fondly for a long time. As is, I think he's a player who will say thanks and best wishes. And yeah, you know what? there's nothing and it's wrong with that either. One final transfer rumor that we should probably talk about, even though I really don't want to bring this up, but the speculation just refuses to die. So let's do this, Mike. <laughs> Lucas Pocketa from AC Milan 
joining Fiorentina. Let's just go ahead and spend like four sentences on this so we can move on. Uh, well, I think it all just starts with Milan being what they've always been, which is confused. <laughs> which is confused. Like they, they bring in players each and every year and then they move them out a year or two later. And it seems like that's what they're doing again is this revolving carousel without actually figuring out what that structure, that dynamic of the team looks like. And, and I don't dislike Milan, so I, I, I hate saying that. It, it seems like Lucas is, is speculated to come to Fiorentina. I know that we were looking at him before. That was for a loan. It seems like Milan wants to sell him for money right away or a loan with a guarantee. The news that came out this morning is that Fiorentina offered a two-year loan agreement with an option to purchase. The nice part is, even if we want to bring them in, Benfica right now is the competition, and there's still a lot of time to go before you know the market kicks up again, but Benfica is not offering anything more. They want the same thing, two-year with an option. I don't see why anyone would offer a whole lot right now. I mean, he cost, what, close to $40 million when they brought him in this past year, and while I think that he is an undeniably talented player, he doesn't seem to fit into very many systems that don't involve him playing as a number 10 through the middle with two strikers in front of him. Benfica, in that sense, would be a great location because, I mean, that's how they've played. Fiorentina, he wouldn't be afforded that luxury. I don't see what he brings that, say, Gaetano Castrovilli doesn't bring. There's no way that Milan are going to want to let him go for less than 25 mil, 30 mil. Yeah, the room in 30 to 35. I just don't see any reason to spend that much on a player who is limited and has not really demonstrated that he's an effective Serie A player to this point. Could grow, but 35 mil is the kind of thing that you spend on a guy who you know is going to be, at absolute worst, a solid contributor for a long time. Well, and I'll say this. One of the speculations that, and I think it's Milan, uh, AC Milan Media is putting out there, is that he could be packaged in a deal for Milinkovic. How upset would you be if we sold Milankovic to AC Milan for Lucas and maybe five, seven million euro. I would lose my mind. That would be hysterically bad, but also not as dumb as what a lot of Milan fans seem to think is going to happen, which is a straight <laughs> swap of Paqueta for Castrovilli. You know what? I live in Washington. It's legal here. I'll have what you're smoking, guys. Sure, that sounds lovely. Uh, anyways, man, that went on way longer than I thought it would. I didn't want to talk about this stupid rumor that I think there is not really any chance of it happening as it's currently formatted. Let's talk about something else. And I think what we should talk about now, since we've kind of run through the midfield a little bit already on this podcast quite a bit, is continue our series looking at the current roster. And let's start with the midfielders. And if you're talking Fiorentina's midfield, you got to start out with Gaetano Castrofili this year. Mike, how good is Gaetano Castrofili? Uh, we've talked about Bandietta quite a few times on this podcast. We've talked about a couple players who could fit that mold. Rocco came out yesterday and said that there's three players, three, that he is right now positioning and it's hopeful will stay in Florence so that way they can be the legends moving forward. Chiesa, Vlahovic, and Castrovilli. Castrovilli coming into this team has been amazing. My God, what a thrill he has brought just, just to this club. It, 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 and, and 
you know, he's so young. We still don't even know the potential that he has, but we know that he's ours. He signed a new contract. He came out uh, today talking about how he's so happy in Florence. It's his second home. He's grown to love the city, grown to love the fans, grown to love the club. You don't hear any break in his voice as far as wanting to leave. He's talked about wanting to wear the 10 jersey, wanting to attach himself to Antonioni. What, as a Fiorentina fan, can get you more excited than him saying those words? I mean, I don't want to get too carried away because the last time we had a super talented young attacking player talking about number 10 and Antonioni, we all know how that ended. <laughs> so like, let's, let's not get too carried away. But if he wants to stay in Florence forever, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't. He's so talented. Clearly, he has skill on top of skill. He really does. I mean, 24 appearances in the league this year, three goals, two assists, eight yellow cards, which I didn't realize... So he's got, he's got a little bite in him, too. He's got a little bit of nasty, which I like. Yeah. Talk about a heck of a deal. $1.9 million from Bari back in 2017, and now he's got one cap and is arguably the best all-around midfielder in Italy. It seems like every week he plays, he adds something new to his game. And when we started out, he was just a dribbler. After, uh, after a few weeks, he started hitting a few passes. He scored in back-to-back games with absolutely magnificent headers. He started showing off an ability to switch the play. If he keeps going like this, he's going to have every possible tool you could want by the end of the year. And, and what else would Castrovilli want? New contract, already been capped for the national team, and he's dating a former Miss Italia. He has everything he wants in Florence. I have a feeling it's not a bad thing to be Gaetano Castrovilli. Not at all. Uh, Next on my list here is another guy who's new to the first team. Eric Pulgar, 26 years old now, joined from Bologna for $10 this summer. Bit of an up-and-down year for him, but overall I think he's been a positive. What are your thoughts on Eric, Mike? I'll start it off with a question. In your opinion... Who started the season out better than Bulgar? Ooh, that is a good question. If you were to push me, I would say nobody. Great at set pieces, scored several goals from from the penalty spot. He really did start out brilliantly, didn't he? I think he was featured on two City you know, team of the weeks, probably within the first four or five weeks. I mean, he set the world on fire. 10 million euros with the way he came in and performed at the club. Could have paid 20 million and people would have been happy. But, you know, it's kind of the, the polar opposites. We talked about Larola last week. Now we have Pulgar. You know, Larola started off slow and then, you know, jumped his game. Incredible. Pulgar was all the way up there. And then I think, any, you know, anytime you put somebody on a pedestal like that, the only place that they can go was down. Sure. And, and that's naturally what happened with Eric. I, I think that he has tremendous amount of, of skill potential here in the club, and he has a great future ahead. I'm just curious where he slots in looking forward. And, and we'll talk about the other players here, but, you know, that dynamic of if we have three midfielders out there, who, who's going to be that starting group? That's a really good point that you make, Mike. I mean, he's sort of an odd player, right? He takes corners, he takes penalties, he takes free kicks, but the rest of his skill set is that he's more of a midfield destroyer. So that's sort of a weird marriage of things. He started out so well because he wasn't playing Uh, solely in the holding role. He had a little bit more of a box-to-box brief 
that's changed since. I think he's maybe struggled a bit without Milan Badel out there next to him, whom, whom we discussed earlier. So just in brief, 31 years old, 19 appearances, one goal, been sent off once, captain the team three times. Badel does, even though he's clearly lost his legs a little bit, is his positional discipline is just unparalleled. He always is in the right spot in front of that defense, even if he doesn't have the legs to get to where he needs to be and close down or to spin out of uh, challenges like he used to. But having him there gives the team so much solidity that let Pulgar really get forward more and showcase his energy. And I think locking him down to that holding midfield role has prevented him from doing that as much. And he's, he just hasn't looked as comfortable there, which is, I think, why bringing in Alfred Duncan has also been such a great idea. Alfred's been really good, right, Mike? I'm very impressed. You know, when we first started talking about bringing him in, and, and he was uh, attached to the club from a rumor standpoint going back to the summer, finally brought him in in, in January. I, I wasn't necessarily sure if the production would would meet or exceed the speculation. And, and he's been great. You know, seeing him out on the field, high motor, high energy kind, kind of guy, putting in the work, he's, he's closing down. He's doing everything that we need him to do to contribute to a great midfield. And when I look at it, I think Duncan slots in. I think Castrovilli is definitely there. And then we'll talk yeah. probably pretty soon about a, a third guy who's going to take uh, that third spot. I think that's really a great way to look at it. Castrovilli is that more attacking midfielder in a three. And if you get a holding defensive midfielder who really focuses on keeping those deep positions and breaking up play and maybe spreading play, you want that third guy who can do a little bit of both and sort of link everything together. And Alfred Duncan has really shown an ability to do that in his brief time with Fiorentina this year. I mean, he only made three appearances so far, although it's also worth pointing out that Fiorentina were undefeated in his three appearances. So, <laughs> I mean, causation and correlation, I have no idea what the difference is. So clearly that's symptomatic of something. You know, with Sassuolo, he was uh, absolutely fantastic. He In 13 appearances, he had five assists and a goal. I think that he really does fit that third midfielder role so well. And at 27, he's a little bit older than some of these other guys. And so as he ages, brings that experience as a full international, eight caps for Ghana, he's just been everything you could ask for. His versatility, his ability to just paper over whatever gaps are in the midfield really sets him apart from the man that he kind of replaced, who is Marco Benassi, one of your favorite players, Mike. <laughs> if I told you that Marco was 29, would you believe me? I'd probably say that he's a little bit older, just yeah. looking at him. he's He's got that, that veteran face on him, doesn't he? he, he yeah, he does. And, and, and he's 25. Holy cow. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard not to look back at his career and, and marvel on what he's done in such a short period of time, knowing that he still has what should be the peak part of his career ahead of him. We just have not seen anything close to what people thought the peak part of his career would be inside of Florence. Uh, I, I know we all hoped that that would happen. We've seen some brilliant play as far as goals. And that's what he's come in there for, some of those wonder goals where we needed some some lift, some boom. He's provided that a couple of times, but certainly not on a consistent rate, not getting back on defense, not helping in build-up play. You know, so from where I think this club is going, I don't see there as being much of an opportunity 
for Marco to get playing time. Not saying that he has to leave. He's still a great personality on the club. He's been featured as a captain multiple times. He has yeah. a history with that. So he's definitely adding a lot of character, a lot of experience. I just don't know if he's going to be getting a lot of minutes. I think that's a great assessment of that, Mike. I mean, his contract runs out uh, not at the end of this upcoming season, but in 2022. With those two years left, that's generally when you really want to start thinking about the next step as a player. I think that Marco, he was perfect for Pioli, where the idea was always to have that one brilliant shining moment. And Marco Benassi is the king of that one brilliant shining moment, emerging from the darkness and striking and then vanishing again as quickly as he appeared. He doesn't seem to offer that over 90 minutes, or he hasn't in Florence, really, since he's arrived. I, I can't recall a more enigmatic player since I've been watching Fiorentina. I just, I have no idea what to make of him still. He's such yeah. a weird player. And I think you're right. I think maybe some of that patience for him to really put it all together for 90 minutes at a time is beginning to run a little bit low. Looking at all the midfield reinforcements this club has brought in over the past year, it's enough to make you think maybe the management's thinking the same thing. You know, it's it's hard for us to sit here because we don't play the game. He plays it at a super high level, and he's done it for sure. many years at this point. So it's it's kind of for us, kind of hard for us to criticize him. But I can sit here and tell you that in this seat where I do criticize players, <laughs> I've been hoping for the past two years that he would just get really angry with his position on the club and put in the work, the effort to connect the the the, the areas where we just talked about where Duncan you know, plays just those, those soft skills, those intangibles that we need to make this team a good team into a very good to great team. And I don't know if we have that coming from him. And I don't know if he has that desire, you know, maybe he just wants to be that flamboyant character who comes out, scores goals, and then drifts away after he scores and before scores. I can't answer that though. I don't think anyone but Marco can really. Again, we really hope that he sticks around and he becomes that player that we all thought he was going to be, captaining the Inter Milan Primavera, captaining Torino as a very young player, earning some youth international caps. His growth curve, well, I talk about a growth curve. It's important to remember that players don't improve along a steady curve. It's very up and down, it'll seem like, from the outside. So maybe he's ready to just burst somewhere else but I, I think it might have to be somewhere outside of Florence and again we hope it's not we hope he turns it on and absolutely blows us away another player who we really hope blows us away but who remains a little bit of a mystery too is Kevin Agudelo although for slightly different reasons he's played one minute for Fiorentina <laughs> since arriving in the winter transfer window from Genoa on a loan with a obligation to buy if he makes a certain number of appearances. I haven't seen anywhere that I trust report what that number is or even how much the payout will be. Although I wouldn't guess it could be more than what, six, seven million, considering that Genoa bought him for two and a half million from uh, Atletico Huila in Colombia at the start of the year. He was promising for them. Again, he's just 21 years old. He made 10 appearances, scored a goal, gotten an assist, picked up four yellow cards and a red card in just those 10 appearances. So that's a little bit of a concern. Shows that he really needs to grow on that defensive side. But again, super promising young player. I think 
but Mike, you are free to disagree with me. Are you going to? Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you that there's exciting potential. 21-year-old Colombian, and I believe he just got engaged, so congratulations to him. I was very excited when he came in because I thought that as we're buying Pulger, as we're buying Duncan, as we're buying somebody who we'll talk about here very soon, we were still missing more of that attack-minded midfield presence. And I don't think that Aguadella is going to fit that role just yet, but maybe a year down the road with a little bit of coaching tutelage, some practice under his belt, he can do that. Uh, So definitely excited about the potential that he has, not necessarily sure that it's going to be there just yet, but a 21-year-old Colombian with a lot of flair is not a bad thing to have as long as the price isn't that big. I know we've seen some speculation. Hopefully it's in that six to seven range. I have seen some speculation that it could be double digits, which scares me. So let's just wait and see what happens there. And, And so far, he's not meeting any of the thresholds for an obligation to purchase, which may be Fiorentina's strategy there. You know, let him get in, you know, his, 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 his uh, legs under him, um, get a little bit of work, and then renegotiate any type of transfer uh, fees. You know, I can't claim to have watched a lot of Genoa this year because that's generally a rather painful proposition for the neutral. <laughs> and I haven't watched a whole lot of his career when he was in Colombia. If the YouTube compilations of his highlights, which never lie, or give you an incomplete picture of a player are to be believed. He really does have that dribbling skill set, the physical quickness and strength and center of gravity, change of direction and the touch on the ball. Yeah. To be a little bit like Castrovilla, I think just that incredible dribbler who carries the ball past pressure through the lines and just forces an opposing defense to deform and react to him and create so much space for everyone else. I think that is the sort of player that he could easily grow to be as the backup to Castrovilli, who next year is likely to play most of the minutes. That might be a great place for uh, for Agudelo to uh, really develop for an extra year, and then we can kind of get a better sense of him. He looks like a player, too. So any picture you see of him, he looks like the complete soccer player. Just give him another year or two. But what this also means is less playing time for Benassi. Again, when you pick up a young player like that who you know needs those minutes you're going to give him the minutes and it really does seem like marco is the guy whose spot he would take all right well we've teased him long enough let's go ahead and bring in fiorentina's joint record signing let's talk about sofian amrabat of hellas verona 23 years old picked him up during the january window and then loaned him back to the mastini Always nice when you get that sort of synergy between two clubs that have a pairing, even if Hellas are sometimes mighty objectionable in some other areas. But he's really been one of the revelations of the season thus far in Italy. Let's just state it. So we've been teasing it. Castrovilli, Duncan, Amrabat. There is your starting midfield going into (laughs) next year. That is as exciting a midfield that I've seen in several years here. And it's a very young midfield that can only get better. I've heard a couple people talk about Amrabat as, from time to time this year, being the best midfielder in Serie A. You know, there's a lot of people looking at him. And then that begs the next question. So he came for 20 million euros. Big steal for Fiorentina. Absolutely a coup. But the next question is, how long does he stay? 
because that was part of the debate between Napoli, Fiorentina, if there's going to be a buyout clause that's put in there. I don't know. I don't know if there was. And I'll I'll give you a quick story. Uh, As my wife was in labor, giving birth to my daughter, I, for whatever reason, as I'm going through all of the, the moments with her and she's in between a break, I was curious. I thought to myself, wait a minute. Did Amrabat sign a contract with a bio clause or without? So I got onto my phone and I messaged a friend of mine, Stefano Del Corono, over in Florence. And I said, hey, Stefano, did, did Fiorentina sign Amrabat with a buyout clause or no? And he replied to me, aren't you with your wife in labor? I said, yes. He said, go back, take care of that, and we'll talk later. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the things you think of while giving birth. Oh, wow. That, <laughs> that is not where I thought that was going to go. Yeah. Oh well, I still don't know if there's a bio clause. So, Stefano, if you're listening to this or anybody else, please let us know oh. because it's been on my mind through some of the most important parts of my life. My co host, Mike, everyone. My goodness, that is not something I could... Wow, hang on. He may need to take a quick reset for that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyways, (laughs) sorry about that. Needed a little bit of a break. Amrabat, he's played at the base of that midfield trio in Hellas in a system that's very similar to what Yakini has been doing in Florence, is is sort of what even Juric has been doing in Hellas. I think the big knock on Amrabat... Well, there's two, I guess, that are really big ones. One is that he doesn't really do a lot on the score sheet. He doesn't have a goal this year. He has one assist, eight yellow cards, one red card. So you can tell that he really brings that energy, that bite. He's very mobile, loves getting into the tackles, great range of passing. He reminds me a little bit, I think, of a more skillful Valon Berami, if you remember back to some of those real dark field years. I think the other reason that he reminds me of that is that at Feyenoord and Club Bruges, his two previous stops to Hellas, he started out as a winger, and he's also played fullback before he really settled on that deep midfield role. He was not as impressive at either of those two stops. I think he really became something of a whipping boy for a lot of those fan bases. And so seeing him blossom here with Hellas has been fascinating. I think it really is just that marriage of role and skill set and talent and the right opportunity. But he's also a bit of a one-year wonder. I don't think I'm as concerned about that as I could be, just seeing that he has done it in Serie A in a system similar to the one Fiorentina used, but it is something to bear in the back of your mind. But again, extremely talented player, 23 years old, eight caps for Morocco already, and he's probably going to hit 50 or 60 for him before it's all said and done. That prospect of an Amrabat, Duncan, or Pulgar, if you just want to bulldoze the entire pitch, and Castrovilli midfield is tantalizing. That's some football manager silliness. And I'm very excited for it. You and me both. So the next man up is another guy who's out on loan, albeit to Empoli in Serie B, and who's also quite young. And I apologize to anyone Polish who's listening. Zimon Zhukovsky, he's also 22. He joined in 2019 from 
apologies again, Gornik Zabruse. Sorry, that's a lot of consonants in a row for me to be able to figure out for 3.7 million. And this year he's played a total of 10 minutes of competitive soccer across two appearances, both in Florence. He hasn't gotten off of the bench in Empoli, which I think has surprised. I, I know it surprised me, but I think it surprised most of us. Do you have any idea what's going on there, Mike? The first question I have is, is that Hamrin helping you with the pronunciation of these names? Um, probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Three more. Maybe that would do it. I, I can tell the readers and listeners that right now I can see the glass is, is being held up empty. So <laughs> It's a very sad moment. It is. Back to him. You know, he came... At, at a very interesting time, Euros U21s were going on, and, and that was when you know some of the the attention started picking up for him. And when we got our interest, and when we brought him in, he, Chiesa, a couple others were were really the talk of the town. And ever since then, you know, you still have you just haven't seen it. And I don't know if that's just jitters getting acclimated to Italy youth. Again, you mentioned he's only twenty two. But we have him for four years. Uh, I, I do not want to give up on this kid because of how well he did play in the U21s last year. Uh, he showed a lot of promise. I know you did some research in um, you know, speaking with a couple of people, trying to understand who he is and, and where he projects. But I, I think he has a spot with the club. It's just not yet. And I don't think it'll be next year either. Next year is going to have to be alone. Maybe it doesn't make sense to keep him in Serie A. Maybe it makes sense to allow him to try and grow in a different country just to get a little bit of confidence under his belt. And I think that's so much of it too, is that sitting from where we are, for me, in my bunker here, it's very easy to look at a kid who travels to a whole new country when he was 20 years old doesn't speak the language and just assume, okay, well, you're a professional soccer player. Here's a professional soccer team. Go do the thing. And it's so much more complicated than that. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that he still has a future, even if right now he's still trying to settle in. And, it, you know, before the loan, we heard some stories about him being very frustrated with his lack of playing time, which is good. It shows that he thinks he's ready. So he still has some confidence in himself. That's so important for, for an athlete. Mm -hmm. But I'm still not quite sure what to make of him. I think you're right that look at all of those midfielders signed on for next year. I think Zhukovsky probably doesn't have a lot of room for minutes in Florence next year unless something crazy happens. So yeah, I'd love to see him on loan. I actually would prefer that he stayed in Italy just to really continue to acclimate to the country and so that he can make that difference in the in the coming years because I, I still think he absolutely has that in his locker. I think he really could be an excellent player. Like you mentioned, some of the experts I talked to, uh, thanks, Camille Rogolski. Thanks, Azim Zahab. Compared him to Gregor Krakowiak, who has been one of Poland's best players for half a decade now, just a big, strong, fantastically athletic, intelligent, skillful central midfielder who can really dictate the play. Spent a lot of time in France and at Sevilla, featured prominently for those wonderful Sevilla sides that won a bunch of silverware in the Europa League. I mean, if that's what people who know what they're talking about think 
Zhukovsky could be, that's the guy you want in your corner, I think. I think you're right. I think he definitely has plenty to offer. And while we're on the subject of guys who have lots to offer, but it just hasn't worked out, if I hadn't already finished this drink, I would pour a little bit out for Brian Dabo, who is just the coolest guy and a very good player. I think he is one of the players I would most like to speak to who's technically on the viola books right now. He just seems like such a smart, thoughtful, interesting person with so much to say who really thinks about a lot of things very hard. Plays 17 different instruments and sings and just seems so cool. I'm still a little bit sad about how the club treated him, how Montella froze him out. Uh, he's been great at Spa since he joined on loan. It seems almost certain that they'll buy him. There's not a whole lot we can say about him, but thanks, Brian. We love you. We wish it had worked out better. We think you're great. Other people we think are great. Sebastian Cristoforo. And moving on, Harold Lochte, very good for the Primavera. He's in his, uh, he's in his first stint away from... From Fiorentina. Oh, you, you didn't like that Cristoforo segue? I thought that was exactly what it needed to be. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't throw it to me because oh. I was throwing it right back. That was going to be volleyball. Yeah, I could see you looking at me through the through the video chat here like a deer in the headlights. All we could say about Cristoforo is that he is undeniably a talented player. We hope that his lone move at Abar is everything he wants and that everything in his life is also everything that he wants both now and indefinitely. The Lego song, everything is awesome. Please don't yell at us again, Seba, goodbye. Not us, not us, you. Yeah, okay, fine, at me. But Mike, you're, you're, you're a part of this Viola Nation ship now. You, you're included, you have access to the Twitter account. If you get those furious messages, this, this is on your head also. For any of our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Go ahead and Google Sebastian Cristoforo Viola Nation and read through some of the results and you'll see some of the history that explains why Sebastian Cristoforo is one of our favorite players, why we will never say anything bad about him. Returning to Harold Lochte, <laughs> 20 years old, he's an Albanian youth international, although he was born in Prato, so still a local kid. In his first season outside of the Primavera, he's at Gubbio. And he's, he's really been quite good. 25 appearances, three assists, eight yellow cards. That's kind of what you expect from a young guy getting his feet under him. He can play a variety of roles in midfield as the, as the holder, is more of a box-to-box kind of guy. He can even fill in it right back. I don't know. Do you think that he's ready for the next step yet, Mike? Probably not yet. Love hearing guy come from Prato. Shout out to Viola uh, Club over in Prato. Hey. Love those guys there. Simone, who... Makes the flags from Prato. So a lot of good things come from there. You know, they, they still speak very highly uh, of Lucky uh, in Florence. Former captain, great professional, even at a young age. I mean, some of the interviews that he's done, I mean, he's been, you know, just the, the, the consummate professional from, from that standpoint. I think he still needs some time, especially on this team. He definitely has some ability to get there. And I think we're all hopeful just because of the guy, you know, the player that he's been, uh, the person he's been with Fiorentina over the past few years. I wish him all the best of luck. Just going to take some more time, more loans. I think that's dead on. You know, if we're going to talk about players on loan, we have to talk about the ultimate Fiola loan player. (laughs) The only guy with links back to the Cesare Prandelli era still on the books, 
Amiru Salifu, come on down. Been with the team since 2011, which blows my mind. Joined as a teenager for 1.6 million euros. Made 25 Serie A appearances by the time he was 20 with Fiorentina and then with Catania on loan and then shredded his knees and has never quite looked the same since, which is a real shame. He looked like a tremendously talented player. Has dealt with a lot of other problems too. He got caught up in a fake immigration papers scandal a few years ago, which was absolutely not his fault. He was taken advantage of by unscrupulous agents, which is such a such a problem, especially for African players. But he's just kept going. He's currently at Al Salmiya in Kuwait. His contract is finally up at the end of this season. And it I mean, obviously the club won't renew his contract. How crazy is it that there is still someone on the Viola books who can remember playing with Luca Toni or Adrian Mutu? or with Ricardo, well, well, maybe not that, but with some of those real legends. There's a guy who played with <laughs> Dario Dinelli, who's still technically a Fiorentina player. I, I, I'm just curious, and I don't know the answer, maybe you do. How long was that contract, the last one that he signed an extension for? Uh, Corvino actually renewed him, I think, two years ago, which was kind of funny because Corvino brought him in originally and then was replaced with Prade, and it looked like Prade was going to let the deal run, but then Prade left the club, and Corvino came back and extended Salifu. So Salifu is just kind of watching all this stuff go zooming by him and completely unfazed through it all. I mean, it's just, it's just a really good reminder, too, of how players' growth, again, is not linear. A guy who you think is going to be just a really talented player as a teenager might not end up being there i mean due to injuries or anything else there are no sure things so best of luck to uh to amidu salifu in his next stop thank you for all your time thank you for being one of the best defensive midfielders in career mode of about fifa 2013 so we'll wrap up this segment by talking about some of the primavera players i think i'd like to start with alessandro lovisa who's a new arrival. He's from San Vito Paliamento near Pordenome. He only just joined this last year for 50,000 euros, which is a fair amount for a young player. He signed through 2022, came from his hometown club in Pordenone, but also had a spell at Napoli. Also, as a fun aside, his brother Matteo is the is the sporting director at Pordenone in Serie, in Serie C. So like, he must be very, very young to be doing that job, which is wild. Anyways, Alessandro has made 18 appearances for the Primavera so far. He's got five goals for midfield, as well as an assist in seven yellow cards. Wins a lot of headers, big, strong, rugged player. Looks like he's probably going to play mostly in the holding role as a professional. He's young. He definitely has lots of developing to do, but might be one to keep an eye on for the long term. Quite a ways off of the first team. He's also shown that he's a big game player. Uh, he's scored in the... Primavera Coppa Italia quarterfinals against Milan opened the scoring there in that win and then scored a crucial goal in the second leg at Juve to advance in the semis. So he's he's got that clutch thing going. I know that's not something you can really quantify, but also you gotta love anyone who knocks Juve out of a tournament, especially when it's a Fiorentina player. So hey, Lovisa. 
keep him in your notebook. A guy who I think we know a little more about because he's been with the team a bit longer is Marco Hanulja. Uh Mike, what do you got on Hanulja? He came over in 2018, Croatian, came from, uh, from Belgium. Weirdness, I guess we'll call it, attached to that uh, transfer. Mm. Had a great year last year. Some injuries this year. Still very young, promising, very promising. But can he regain confidence? Can he regain strength? That's going to be what it comes down to. Would you say that he's a good candidate for a loan to maybe, I would say, the third tier probably next year, just as he gets that confidence back? At at age 20, yeah, he's going to have to start pretty low down there, get that confidence, get that strength back. Where he's going. Another guy who's had a bit of an odd loan history is uh, Nikki Beloko. Beloko? Sorry, Nikki. Who's just a lovely, lovely dude. We actually got to talk with him on the site a few months ago, and he was as nice as he could be. He started the year, actually, at Ghent in Belgium on loan and didn't make any appearances there. Not sure what happened. Clearly something went wrong, and he rejoined the Primavera in January and has since made 10 appearances and scored twice and gotten an assist. Really exciting young player, very dynamic in the middle. 20 years old, he's got to be ready for uh, for another loan move next year, do you think, Michael? Right? Absolutely. I remember when I was over there speaking with Bobby Duncan, he asked Bobby who his favorite player on the Primavera was, and he quickly went to Nicky. So uh, there's some skill, there's some talent. Let's see what it could be done. He's, I think he's a fascinating player to watch. Just so so gifted with the ball at his feet, loves a dribble, yeah. uh, knows where to be. And we'll wrap up with Tony Frook, who, first of all, has a fantastic name at 19 years old. Another Mooskron player, just the strangest club in Belgium. They're a second tier. Hanuljak came from there, Tony Frook, Rafael Volsky, if you remember, poor sweet Rafael. Spent some time there. I believe Marco Bakic had some time there as well. It, it seems an awful lot like Muscron is a shell company for Eastern European players trying to uh, make that next step. Do you think that Tony Fruk fits that profile? He came over with a lot of excitement, and there was a lot of excitement in Florence. 1.5 million euros. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you one story based off of, I guess, you know, the excitement, but also kind of the bewilderment. When I was over in Florence in, it was either in October or December, one of the two trips, I can't remember. And I actually got to go on the pitch for the Primavera game, take some pictures, take some videos. I posted one of the videos in which Tony scored on Twitter, sent it out to a couple friends, had a conversation later that day with Stefano Del Corona. He was amazed at who scored. I said, Tony, Tony Frook scored. He said, no, no, no. Guy doesn't exist. He said, no, no, he scored. He said, show me the picture. Show me the video. Showed him the picture. Showed him the video. He's like, that's the first time anybody in Florence has seen the kid. So, you know, I don't know. Ah, so possibly a worthy successor to legendary figures like Octavio and Hernán Toledo, which is good. We haven't had one of those in a little bit. You know, (laughs) who knows? You know, that's just the one story there. I I can tell you, you know, he's a kid that plays with aggression, with passion, almost an attitude. You know, I remember watching him warming up on the sides. He definitely has some, some, some chutzpah there. And, you know, it was interesting watching him run around and play out on the field because he's not afraid to to mix it up. He's not afraid to say what's on his mind, but he backed it up. I mean, he looked pretty good when I was there watching him. So 
he will definitely be an interesting player to watch. Can he develop? Is it something where, you know, Fiorentina can take that aggression and mold it, or does it get out of hand? Who knows? I mean, let's also keep in mind, he's got quite a pedigree. 24 appearances for the Croatia U-17s, but none since. I think he's dealt with a lot of injuries since then as well. Missed the first almost half of this season with ankle issues. Still two goals in his 10 appearances thus far with the with the young guys. Can play as a winger, but was he playing as a 10 when you saw him or was he out wide? I'll, I'll be honest. I don't remember. I was just taking too many pictures at the time. So. <laughs> Reasonable. Yeah. That wraps up our look at the midfielders, but stick around. We do have something else fun lined up for after the break. For this next segment, we are very lucky to get the president and, and also another co-founder of Viola Club New York on with us. Welcome to Alessandro Sisto and Dr. Massimo Balestri, who is the first medical professional we have ever had on this show. Guys, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thanks so much, Tito. Thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't have missed it since y'all are involved with the first viola club in the U.S. So y'all are both still in New York, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Um, the, the club is pretty historical and Massimo can talk a little more because he's been there more than me. Um, it was founded in 1990s by a, um, a group of like, um, fans and we still have like a couple of like one, at least of the historic members in our, you know, board. And, you know, now we have like about hundred members. Oh, wow. because of the, you know, commiss acquisition and all that. But averagely in these past years, we, you know, navigate between like 40, 30s, you know, stuff like that members. So it's really spiked in the past. I mean, as we're recording this on Saturday, it has been, what, one year since Rocco bought the club, I believe. So in the past year, you've gotten a lot of new members. Yes, uh, in the past, uh, you know, once we knew about the, you know, the acquisition, uh, people came to us like from, you know, uh, many areas, not, not only in the US, but also from Italy, we got people to, you know, they want to participate and join the club, and, you know, it was great. And also we can tell because we were struggling between the past, you know, management to get fans during the game get together with a decent amount of people and this past year has been like uh, you know totally different um we had at least 20 people every game to watch the game um so much more fun and where where do you guys where do you guys go to watch games do you just go to someone's apartment or do you have a, a place that you all meet uh, we don't have a, a specific location uh, but we do have um, a restaurant in Manhattan, in the Upper East Side, that is managed by one of our members. They used to manage uh, another place that we used to go there before. So we kind of have our own room on the third floor, and it's just for us. It's great because we have room for people, uh, room for kids to play, and you know, a nice TV screen to watch the game, and, and chants, and you know, jokes around. It's kind of fun. Yeah, over the years, you know, we have changed so many different locations. You know, we were like, uh, we have been a, a, everywhere in Manhattan. We were like a, 
uh, in the lower, um, you know, by the Bowery for a long time. Um, actually, Trattoria Cinque, which was managed by, uh, uh, still by uh, Alessandro, that uh, um, uh, we were there for a long time and we had our private room. So, uh, but we have been everywhere. We have been on the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, uh, uh, by, by Canal Street, you know, for, for a long time. So, um, yeah, it depends, you know, it depends on uh, the availability, you know, in, in the restaurants. But, uh, but with Serafina, we found, uh, I, think, uh, I think Alessandro can confirm that we found a, a good place, a good spot. You know, we have a, our private place to, you know, to watch the games. I, I think it's important uh, just to mention the difference between the way that you guys celebrate and watch a game versus the traditional Americans. Let's just talk about the spread that you guys have for each and every game. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> it's very important that uh, everything, you know, starts with a, an appetizer, you know, <laughs> a several appetizer. Then we mm -hmm. normally have, a, you know, like a, we have a, a main course pasta or, or whatever, you know, meat, chicken, you know, like anything. Like, so we have a, we have a menu. Uh, naturally, with uh, you know red and white and or white wine, you know, and and dessert and espresso at the end, and and a matzah cafe, you know, like the little uh, dessert wine, you know. So yes, it's 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 a it's part of the game. Yeah, and in that spirit, some of our members, I remember they they bring sometimes limoncello. One actually, one of our board member Roberto, which I say hi, um, he brings limoncello that he makes. And after the game, we all drink and chant sometimes, and you know, it's fun. Mike can you know testify on that, but it, it's pretty fun. It's actually the only limoncello that I've actually liked. <laughs> I let him know, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So, so before we get going into the rest of of uh, the format here, I, I just think it makes sense for us to take a step back and just talk about you guys, because you know we wanted to bring you guys on, talk a little bit about the club, but also yourselves. How did you become Fiorentina fans? Uh, I know you guys have moved to the states, you know, from from Tuscany and Italy. Um, how did you come to to the United States as well? Uh, Massimo, you want to start, or should I? Should I start? I'm the old. Uh, I'm the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so basically, I mean, personally, I came here, you know, to study. This was a long time ago. Uh, was a, I think I came initially in 1986, and uh, took me about a few years because, you know, I was I was taking all courses, you know, to you know to transfer, you know, my education from Italy to here, and I moved here, you know, permanently in 1988. So I've been here since then. Um, uh, and you know, I did all my you know, um, you know, all my doctorate. I was in Boston, you know, at BU. Uh, so and now, you know, uh, uh, then I came back to New York. I spent about like a, I would say like a, a back and forth about 17, 18 years in New York City. I mean, my office, my practice is still on, on in New York on the Upper West Side. Um, I was for five years in Boston, you know, studying and. Uh, uh, otherwise, you know, and now, and I'm sorry, the last eight years we have, uh, I've moved out with my family to a little town, probably you heard the name, Sleepy Hollow, uh, you know, in uh, it's, it's, it's a Halloween, it's Halloween Central, you know, in October, so um, um, in Westchester, uh, so yeah, 
so that's that's my story. I joined the club uh, because I met Roberto. Actually, it was uh, in one of these. Uh, I, still, I can't believe I still remember. Um, I think it was like in eighty, you know, either eighty-seven or eighty-eight. You know, when I moved, um, probably eighty-eight. Uh, that um, we met at this historical uh, 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 place on the Upper West Side that doesn't exist anymore, which was was called Popover, and they used to have this uh, this uh, breakfast, you know, like with the with the, the Popover, the British Popover, and they closed there unfortunately. And uh, so that's how we met because I heard him speak with a Florentine accent, and uh, <laughs> we started to talk and. And from there, you know, we became very good friends. And, you know, and he told me, oh, you know, there is a Fiorentina club. I said, no, there's a Fiorentina club. And that's, that's how I got involved. You know. Yeah, I, I came here only 10 years ago, almost. So it'll be 10 years in August. Um, I got in touch of the Viola club before I moved because my wife, she's American. And um, we used to come here in the Christmas time and in the summertime. And I heard about, because uh, there was a, you know, a, a big band on the stadium back then. I used to be on the Gruba Fiesole subscriber uh, on that sector. And I used to see that Viola Club New York band on the stadium towards the Ferrovia on the other side. So I was always curious. And I tried, I did like a little research. And Roberto, which was the uh, president back then, uh, reached out. And um, he was like, uh, you know, uh, feel free to meet us and, uh, you know, we can start like, you know, know each other. And I got, um, you know, I wanted the scarf. So I say, that's great. So we got in touch. And then when I moved, you know, was the first thing was, you know, get back in touch, you know, having these, these uh, connections still with Florence, because it's not easy, you know, for us Italian, I think, when you leave your country for many reasons. And that was great. And then I met Massimo and I got in touch, you know, very close to him because I used to live in the Upper West. And it was fun because when we used to play cup games, I used to, I used to be a freelancer back then. I'm, um, I'm an architect, but when I moved to US, I, I pretty much became like an art director for branding, you know, photography and graphic design and web design. So I was working at home back then for the first few months. And Massimo was like, yeah, let's get together. We watch a game in my office. So uh, I came there, you know, I closed the shop, watched the game, you know, comment. It was actually very nice, like a little uh, piece of Florence that we held together. And something that I like to say about Massimo is that every morning before this quarantine happens, we had like a catch-up call of like 10 minutes. And it was our sport bar morning call. So we talk about the trades, what happens, and trust me, it's like, you know, besides the background, which is my office and Massimo office, it feels like yeah, I'm back in Florence for those 10 minutes. It's That's great. awesome. Kiosco, Kiosco degli Sportivi. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what is your favorite moments that you guys can recall? Uh, in general, or you mean for, you know, in these past years? Uh, you know, whether it was something you ever saw at the game or now that you guys have the viola club, you tell us what, what, what moment or moments stand out to you? I have to say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are many different, you know, times, but uh, I would say like when uh, we beat, you know, uh, Juventus uh, with the, with the, uh, 
with Giuseppe Rossi, uh, uh, which by, by the way, I can talk about it also. I play with him, you know, you know uh, at the Chelsea Piers. Uh, um, that was incredible. We had, uh, I don't know how many people we had at that time, where this uh, Irish pub, they thought like someone was getting killed on the back over there because we, were, <laughs> we, we almost took the place apart, you know, like, you know, um, uh, I think we had like about 45 people, 40, 45 people, 50 people in a small room and we were just going crazy, you know. I was, I was in Florence to that game because I was uh, on vacation and I brought there like a friend of mine from uh, New York in Fiesole with me, with my friends. And uh, one great memory that I have that I was that when we passed Juventus with Rossi, um, I, I lost Robert, my friend. I lost him. <laughs> <laughs> we flying. I was uh, in front of the glass, you know, in front of the pitch cheering and like semi-naked, even if it was closed. And I lost Robert. I was like, what is it? And after, you know, the, the, the fan came up to their own seat standing, uh, I saw Robert hugging like random Florentine guys. <laughs> this guy is from New York. And I was like, yeah, it's my friend. I probably <laughs> 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 because he doesn't speak Italian. Um, it was great. That was like, as Massimo says, it was like a um, uh, unique moment. And then, Absolutely. And then something that we'd like to ask everyone who comes on the show too, who is your all-time favorite player for Fiorentina? Well, Tito, mine, I grew up with Bati. And to me, Bati is like, um, I, I want to quote my friend Andrea, little Andrea, that is, uh, you know, he came with, at the stadium with me in Florence all the time. And he always say that, uh, but his tutor make me more happy than any other women I've met in my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'd be honored. I say that people don't say other stuff, but, you know. <laughs> I have a picture because I was also able to, um, this was in 1990 when there was the World Cup here in, uh, in the U.S., I was able to have dinner with him and it was, so I still have a picture of, I don't know if you guys can see oh him. Oh my God. Yeah. Good. Okay, you can't see this because you were listening and not watching, but Massimo just held up a picture of him very casually eating dinner next to Roberto Baggio and it is very good. So yeah, that's, so that's, that's the, to me, it was oh. the best player ever you know, uh, I've seen, you know, like, you know, definitely Batistuta, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing play, but I, the, the class and, and, the, and what Baggio could do, I never seen any, any, anyone. I mean, we're, you know, the only one that I actually saw live that I, it, it, it was on the same level was, I think it was Maradona, you know, when he, when he really got going, you know, it was incredible to watch him. Those are two players. Yes. Yeah, that's not bad answers. No, it was a, it's a sensation, Tito, that, um, you know, I remember, and I think, you know, Massimo can agree that we used to, I used to travel when Batista was playing those years uh, in Italy, you know, a little bit in Europe, and you had that sensation of, like, power. Like, you know, you play with much stronger team, like Barcelona, for instance, but you knew that, you know, oh, we have Batista, he'll, he'll figure it out. So you had that, you can, you could have hold that, that sensation and that, you know, certainty that you have and, you know, and go on. Even if on the, you know, as a player, as a rooster, we had like a match, you know, 
less strong rooster than many other teams, but there was that sensation of like power that it's, you know, was incredible. The ultimate equalizer. <laughs> Haven't had that around for a little bit, but feels like that might be starting to change too, which is pretty nice. So Yeah, I, I think like, you know, I was very happy. And still sometimes I don't believe when I see him, like I'm talking about Frank Ribéry. When I see him playing with the Fiorentina jersey, sometimes I'm like, and I talk to Massimo all the time, like, is he playing for us? Is he still? <laughs> I know he's out on the, you know, on the down part of his curve, but he's still, you know, he's like a phenomenon that, you know, seeing with that jersey makes me happy. Yeah, it's definitely like, you know, it's, uh, again, it's one of those players that uh, it make a huge difference, you know, um, just to have him in on the field, you know, in some, in some way that, you know, I believe that uh, some of the downside of Fiorentina, you know, it was after, you know, his injury, because also I think uh, we had a, a, a coach, you know, on, on the field, you know, in addition to the coach, you know, on the bench. Yeah, you could really Absolutely. see, especially with uh, Castrovilli there early on, how they were developing that relationship on the pitch really, really well. And that was just fascinating to, to see that development. So the next thing we should get into is something that the website was involved with pretty recently, which was the Nuastiamo con Rocco movement. Did y'all get involved with that at all? Yeah, we got involved um, on a certain level because I'm also represent the Centro di Coordinamento for the North America, which is all the association, one of the association, I would say the most important and historical, there present all the Viola Club in, in Italy and outside of Italy. And his president, Filippo Pucci, reached out uh, a few days ago and said, if, if you guys can put a band, you know, with the hashtag, Noi Stiamo Con Rocco, that would be great because you're planning like a surprise um, for him, for, you know, the, the stadium and, you know, the fact that he's one year almost. Um, so I reached out to Mike to kind of figure that out. And we got like so many fans around, you know, some of the US and some of the outside of the US that were posting that. And a lot in Florence, because I don't know if you guys have the chance to see the picture of that Saturday night when they posted all this band around the city. I think it was a great sign uh, from, you know, the people from Florence that support the team to the you know, town hall, the superintendents, all the, you know, actor of this, you know, what of what what's happening now with the stadium. So I think it was a big signal for them. And what are your thoughts, especially even now you, you saw today's um, presentation. There was a lot of fans that were globally um, present around Europe, uh, around the United States, you know, Noisiamo uh, con Rocco had a lot of people from from yeah. Asia, uh, you know, as well. What are your thoughts about just the globalization well, of the club? I I cannot be more than happy because I think like uh, it has to happen at one point, and you know, uh, you want to expand like uh, the club uh, shadow all around, you know, the world as much as you can in terms of fans. Because and I think like these, you know, Rocco and Joe Barone the way that they put themselves in front of the fan and the way that they are direct with them, it kind of, you know, they get back on this situation because the people kind of gave back 
you know, their support and their, and their love on, on the new uh, management. So I think it's good, especially if you can move a little bit of this stagnant situation between the stadium. I think it's always, you know, appreciated and, and good that people, uh, you know, move things, shake things around. And regarding the global expansion, I think it's important because, you know, especially here in the US, uh, there's a lot of possibility uh, for the club to have exposure in terms of like TV rights, in terms of like, you know, uh, jerseys, in terms of like fans. Um, if you see what the Premier League, how they invested, you know, in the past few years here in the US with like how they present their own teams during the games on the, on the TV, it started happening with the Serie A slowly since, you know, uh, ESPN acquired the rights, which they're doing like a great, you know, a much more better service to introduce teams and what's going on and like special. So to me, the more the better at the end of the day. And I don't know, I'm not speaking for Massimo, I think. And, uh, and no, and I have to say also, you know, I, I think the, the Rocco itself, I think it, it, it has psychologically, I think it has revamped you know, I think an enthusiasm which was lacking, you know, in 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 uh, um, with the fans for a long time. I mean, I don't want to be uh, critical or political, but uh, you know, the Lavalle we had, uh, you know, several several years, you know, like you know that uh, uh, which we felt that we were just uh, really being abandoned, you know, and uh, not there and treated like you know like a. a a common good, you know, like, you know, of a, of a, of a corporation more than, you know, um, so there was no passion and, uh, and you know how, you know, end, end, ended up, you know, so uh, to, to see someone like Rocco, which, you know, uh, both me, um, Alessandro and other people, we were actually probably the first ones to, to, um, to meet him with the Montella in, uh, it, was in, it was in June, right? right? It was June. Yeah, it was this time, this time of the year. So, so we organized this uh, um, uh, uh, dinner at this uh, Florentine place, you know, uh, in the city. Uh, and uh, and uh, he, I mean, I was, I was really, really surprised. Uh, I mean, me and him also, we share some, um, something in common because I, I do some teaching at Columbia. One of oh. my sons went to Columbia University. And Rocco, as you know, he did his, you know, is an MBA at Columbia. He actually has a stadium there in the soccer stadium, which is entitled to, you know, to him, uh, which is the Columbia University uh, Stadium. Um, so I really got a, a chance, you know, uh, to sit down to talk to him, and I was really struck by how direct, you know, simple, uh, um, you know, genuine. You know, um, and 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 uh, you know, I'm warm as a person. So I think like that also. I think it made a huge difference between him, you know, Joe Barone, you know, and and uh, how you know to bring you know. I think uh, you know, fans really started to flock in more and more. That's an incredible story, and you know, I have a great, tremendous amount of respect for the two of you. To, so to hear that information coming from both of you with, with the amount of depth, knowledge, background, experience you have with the club, uh, Fiorentina, VCNY, I think that that's great for all of our listeners to hear. Yeah, I have a great story if you guys want to hear about the dinner. Um, I, I met Joe Barone the year before they got Fiorentina because he wanted to use the Cosmos as a, you know, aggregator for all the club 
of the Seria here in New York. So we got oh. into this restaurant. It was actually in Williamsburg. Uh, all the presidents of the, you know, Verona, Napoli, Juve, uh, and so and so, Genoa. And, you know, we start talking. And after, you know, 20 minutes, the reverie jumps in. So the Verona club was like, no, I don't come if the Napoli came and Juve, no, I don't come if he came, I can't be there, you know, and the Roma, you know, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. So, you know, with, with, always with respect without, you know, any usage of like violence or like bad verbiage, but it was like a, a genuine reverie came in. So we ended up not doing anything. But at the end of the night, I went to Joe Barone and I was like, hey, you know, we don't have a permanent, you know, location here in New York. So if you guys want to do something with us, that would be great, you know, and we exchanged the number. And then, you know, it fades out uh, throughout the year. But then when I heard, you know, the, the, there was this, you know, kind of trade in between and there was the possibility for them to, uh, to get the club, I reached out immediately, you know, just to try. I was like, you know, let's give it a try. And without, with respect, I was like, hey, Joe, you know, I don't want to hear anything, but it ended up the way, you know, I'm thinking, you know, reach out. It would be nice to meet you guys. And after a week, he got back to me on the text and he was like, Alessandro, this is great. Well, we'll hear, you'll hear from us very soon. So you can imagine, you know, I, I talked to Massimo. Hey, Massimo, this is, this is, this is that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, and then nothing for a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden, I was at my home cooking and I had my phone near the TV. And my wife called me, was like, um, Alessandro, uh, Joe Barone is calling you. So I was like, Who, Joe Barone? And then I was like, oh, it's Joe Barone. So I was, I ran, I, I left everything. And I was like, <laughs> you know, um, hi, Joe, how are you? And he was coming back from the airport. He was in a taxi cab. So even the location, it speaks for the, for the character. He was like, Alessandro, I just get back. I want to tell you that you want to meet all of you, all of the fans. So if you guys can adjust. And that was in a week. Uh, on Friday oh, night, wow. someplace that it's a Florentine place, you know, that would be great. So I talked to Massimo and Roberto, and, you know, I was like, guys, we need to figure it out because I think it's a great chance. And then the rest is kind of history for us. <laughs> fast, fast, fast. That's how he does it. Yeah. And yes. Speaking of fast, 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 what do y'all think is going to happen next year with this team? What are you looking forward to and what are you worried about? Massimo, do you want to? <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, it, I have to say, like, you know, it's kind of hard because uh, since the COVID, you know, like, I think we all kind of like, uh, we, uh, I feel like we all kind of like a uh, um, blackout, you know, like, you know, and uh, um, so, um, and I, I don't even know, um, I was actually talking to Ale, you know, a, a week ago about this and I, uh, I don't even know how they, this, this is going to go once the, the teams get back on the field. I have a feeling that uh, maybe they, let, they, they, they start at 11, they won't even finish the whole, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they start to test positive, you know, you know we might end up with a, um, you know, with a, with a B, uh, B team. But regardless, um, it seems to me that, you know, clearly um, I, have, I have read like, you know, a few things probably as, as everybody, you know, you know, Chiesa is still um, something that uh, we don't know what is going to happen. I think uh, Rocco 
uh, I think like he made it clear that, you know, he, he can go, you know, if he gets the money that he, you know, that they, 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 they want. Um, uh, I think we definitely need a striker. We definitely need a striker because, uh, um, and I know that uh, there were, there'd been some talk about, um, the Milan one, right? Uh, 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 yeah, or Belotti, they were talking about. Belotti, it was also, yeah, Belotti. So, so, and, uh, uh, and I don't know what is going to happen. I heard also voice about Milankovic and Dragalski being, uh, uh, maybe, uh, uh, they made some big offers. So I don't know, again, you know, we'll definitely, be, you know, need replacement for the two of them. I think, uh, I don't know, I think it would be great to hold on the young players that are talented that we have. Uh, Chiesa is a, you know, it's a separate argument because uh, I think if he wants to leave, he should leave. It, there's no point to have a player that one doesn't want to stay as, as long as we got, as Massimo said, we got the proper, you know, money for him. Um, there's two things I want to say. You know, as a fan, I'm happy that the Serie A starts. Uh, I can watch Serie A and Fiorentina all year long, like in August on the seaside at work, everywhere, every time. But, you know, if I think about with, you know, as a sport person, I think that this year doesn't make much sense playing in this situation and, you know, with the stadium closed, which is very sad and it's kind of a huge oxymoron of, of football itself, like not having fans there. So I think that as a, you know, from a sport perspective, it would have been nice to close the the league and start over with the same team next year and prepare for a better season in terms of like, you know, preseason, you know, injury, you know, prevent injury and stuff like that. A nice trade window, you know, for the, for the market um, and start over in September or end of August. Now they have to play twice a week, which is great. We all work from home. We have a chance to watch the game. It's perfect situation. It's a win-win, but you know, there's been like some players that are getting injured during the practice in several teams. So it's kind of tricky. It would be interesting, but you know, there's those, those two things that kind of crash to each other, if you ask me. And I think even when Rocco was on our podcast uh, about three weeks ago, he gave a very similar response. You know, originally he didn't necessarily agree with it. But since things have uh, transitioned over there, he supports it as long as it doesn't impact next year's season. And that's where there's still a lot of debate is how do you approach finishing out this year, having two games a day in the hottest months of the year without it impacting next year? Yeah. Um, it's a big question, Mark. Uh, Mike and, and Peter. It's a big question, Mark. We'll see. We'll only know when they start. I think the rhythm will be very low. It will be like almost like a preseason kind of football. Um, we'll see. But for now, I want to take the good things, which is seeing the game on the field. Yeah. We'll talk about football. Yeah. Absolutely. That is going yes. to be so good to see again. Yeah. We're all going to be happy with that. Um, knowing that today is uh, Rocco's one-year anniversary. Let me just ask you guys to take a look back memory lane uh, in which you guys have had some personal experiences and you already shared those, but um, you know, from, from uh, what Rocco's done, what stands out the most? What are you guys most proud of? Um, well, um, 
and this, this year we all knew was like a transitional year. And I believe that he said on the very first press release in Florence that he needed to learn not only sport-wise, but also like dynamic of the Serie A-wise. So and I think that was a good gym for him and all the staff, Joe Barone, to kind of, you know, learn a lot. Um, I think also they inherited like a tricky situation between the past management of like a lot of contracts, a lot of players that was in the roster. So they had to kind of fix, you know, fix first and act after kind of approach. So I think I'm happy for the season as long as, you know, we'll keep these and we don't go down in the ranking because as today we're still like in a tricky position. So which makes me very worried sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, you know, as today, as now, I'm, I'm kind of happy of the, of the entire season. I'm happy, you know, like I said before, seeing Ribéry, you know, coming to Florence was great. It was those moments that make fan dream, you know, and that's, that's all that matters to me at the end of the day as a fan. Um, uh, we'll see. I, I'm curious to see next year. I'm curious to see the, the, the market. Um, and, you know, one thing that I will remember for the rest of my life of this year was the, on the boat when we had the chance to, you know, meet the team, which wasn't just, just be there, it was being part of the team, which is a dream that I had, you know, since I was a kid, like playing for Fiorentina, uh, and being there with all the players in a very casual and relaxed uh, atmosphere was great. Uh, and you can tell that, you know, the way that Rock approaches people was reflected in the team, the way the player approached people, and it kind of like a cascade effect. So it was good. That was the best memory for this year for me. And, and, and again, I wanted to remark about what I was saying before, I, when you ask like what has been the biggest, you know, you know, change to me is the passion. You know, he brought back passion. He brought back like, you know, it really like a rekindle, like, you know, I remember like, you know, and, and, and Ali can, can also say that toward the end, you know, like, the, the, you know, even the last year of the, the La Valle, uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I was having a hard time watching the games, you know, I was, I was a, uh, a lot of people were so disinterested and, and, uh, and I think what Rocco has done, it has been able to really to connect with people, with the city, and, and really like, you know, and to have, you know, and, and, and you know, and to make that, you know, you know, a true, a true connection, like a genuine connection with people everywhere, you know, with Joe and everybody else. And I think that that means a lot, especially in Florence, you know, like it means a lot to people, um, you know. Yeah, Massimo will start following baseball at one point. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> That's how you know it's getting bad. Ah. <laughs> One more question before we wrap it up here. Uh, as you all know, I live up in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. and am I think I'm probably going to start the paperwork on launching an official viola club up here in the next week or so because I don't have a whole lot else going on. What are your recommendations and suggestions for making that happen for everyone else who might be thinking about it? And more yeah, importantly there's for a lot me. Of Sorry, Tito. Well, there's a lot of like uh, viola club in the U.S. and, uh, you know, feel free to reach out if you want all the documentation, but pretty much it's way much easier than doing in Italy 
because there's less, you know, obligation and it's there's a, a lighter bureaucracy to, you know, face, adjust a couple of forms. Um, I recommend you to have like at least like a decent amount of people to follow. I think the minimum request is like 15 from outside of Italy uh, or 12, but I remember I can look and, and let you know. But then, you know, it's, you can come up with a logo name and that's pretty much it. We have one in Los Angeles. We have two in Los Angeles, actually. We have one in Philadelphia. We have one uh, in Texas. Washington, Texas, in Dallas, uh, which is a friend, uh, Maurizio, which I say hi. Miami. Uh, Miami, we have one. Uh, we have two that are trying to, you know, being created uh, uh, here in New York besides ours. And I haven't heard back, but it's it's more something is moving on that on that end so uh again feel free to do like some research if you want my help i'll be more than welcome and you know the more the better tito awesome all right i will definitely be in touch well uh alessandro dr massimo do y'all have anything you'd like to say before we wind this up uh, I just wanted to say, because I remember one of the initial questions of how we got involved with Fiorentina, I forgot, you know, Ali answered to it, but I, I was going as a young, very young kid with my father. My father used to uh, bring me to the, to the stadium. Um, he was a policeman, you know, in Florence. And uh, so we actually, I, I, I was so lucky because I even went into the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, downstairs at the Frankie, met the, the many players, you know, um, uh, and, uh, but I grew up basically with, uh, you know, uh, with the, the team, with the Superchi, Antonioni, Roggi, Casazza, you know, so we're talking about 1975, you know, like that's when I, be I became more aware of, uh, and since then, you know, it's been, you know, been in love with the, with the, with the Fiorentina. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't want to say anything that Forza Viola, and I stop it there because I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been great, uh, you know. Uh, we didn't want much in the past year, but I think, you know, when we're gonna start doing it, it will be amazing. You know? Actually, I have, uh, you know, if Alice stopped there, but um, I have a, a little. Uh, a little quick anecdote, uh, a, I think it was the last year, I don't remember. Anyway, that, that's when the Pirlo was retiring. Um, I was actually called by a friend, it was a just by accident. And asked me that, you know, since, you know, uh, you know I play soccer, you know, I know about soccer. So would you, would, you, uh, would you be able to translate, you know, for a player? And I, and I was like, who's the player? So like, well, it's, it's, it's Pirlo. I said, anytime. So, like, so we, I was, uh, you know, I, I went with him around, you know, they had like this, this uh, thing in your city, they went to different uh, bars, sports bar, and, you know, and he signed shirts. So, and they interviewed him there, you know, and I was providing some translation. But the, the best part was when I, I met him, at the beginning, they introduced us, you know, and, and I said, say, hi, Andrea, Massimo, Balesci, da, 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 you know, and, and, and I, and I said to him, I said, listen, I'm there. First, I said, like, to me, you've been one of the best players I've ever seen playing. I said, like, you know, and, uh, and you were an incredible player. I said, with Milan, you know, and, uh, you know, and the national team. 
and I stopped there. <laughs> and he looked, he looked at me and he said, Say Fiorentino. I said, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. I think, I think that's, that's. I'm glad you told that story. That's about as good a note as we can end on. Guys, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you guys Alessandro are gems. And thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Take care. Viola Station is hosted by Viola Nation's Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Huge thank you to Alessandro Sisto and Dr. Massimo Balestri of the Viola Club New York. Their website is vcny.beeply.com. They're also on Facebook and Instagram as Viola Club New York. Our theme music is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Find us at violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.